Gang, for over a year now, I've been talking about True Hemp Science Full Spectrum CBD oils and how they've reduced my anxiety and helped me get better sleep without waking up feeling foggy and confused. I've also talked about the Full Spectrum CBD bombs that relieved my hand pain last year and made playing piano and guitar much easier. Well, gang, today I'm going to tell you about True Hemp Science organic gummies made with full spectrum hemp oil that are available now. They come in two different gauges. There are five, uh, 50 milligram ones that have 50 milligrams of CBD and 1.5 milligrams of THC. Then there are ones that are 100 milligrams of CBD and 5 milligrams of THC. Absolutely delicious uh, lemon lime slash orange flavors and also watermelon black cherry flavors. Super, super delicious. Now, now, they also have a complete line of full-spectrum CBD products, including oils, tinctures, skincare lotions, sports rubs, chocolates, gummies, all kinds of stuff. Well, gang, How Did I Get Here has teamed up with True Hemp Science to bring you a very special offer that benefits all of us. Spend $100 or more at TrueHempScience.com and you will get a free gift. Just enter the code HDIGH at checkout. There's a little code place there for you to enter it. H-D-I-G-H and you will get a free gift with purchase. That's right. Go to TrueHempScience.com and balance your body and mind with True Hemp Science. Let's get down. You may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? It's time for How Did I Get Here? Hello, I'm Johnny. I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys have all had a good week, whatever it is you did this week. I'm actually doing this intro on Wednesday as I am going to Houston Thursday morning to spend uh, a few days with my grandma and my aunt, my cousin, uh, before my show on Sunday. Gang, if you live in Houston, this Sunday, December 17th, I will be playing at Shine Charlie's Big Top Lounge. Come on out, man. I play at 9.45. Anna Lamari plays at 9. And the band Stunt Driver closes out the night at 10.45. I'll be playing an hour set, okay? So uh, I have not played in Houston in a couple of years. So come on out. Hear some new tunes. Hear some old tunes. Say hi. Let's have a drink. Let's have a good time. Let's celebrate the season. That's this Sunday, December 17th. Shoeshine Charlie's Big Top Lounge, Houston, Texas. Doors are at 8. Anna Lamari, 9. Me, 9.45. Stunt Driver, 10.45. Come on out. Have a good time. Gang, uh, I have a great show for you guys today. My dear old friend and legendary singer-songwriter, John D. Graham, returns to the show today. He has a new record out that came out earlier this year that is, I think, probably his best fucking record. I was listening to it one day and uh, for the first time and listening to it on earbuds all the way through and just listening to it, thinking to myself, God, this is like, this must be John's like best record he's ever made. And he's made a lot of great records, man. This is a dude that's been making great records for 25 years and putting them out. His own records. That's as a solo artist. But this, I think, could be his very best one. Only dead for a little while. Uh, which refers to the fact that in 2019, he died and came back to life. That's some heavy-ass shit, man. <laughs> it is, man. John D's been through... John D's been through a lot, you know? Physically, especially over the last couple of years. We had a really great conversation about that. Um, we actually did this conversation over Zoom because we weren't able to get together and do this. And I wanted to make sure that this was done before my December cutoff date. But um, uh, John's doing good, man. His outlook is great. He's got a great positive vibe. 
I think that this record might be the best record he's written ever, man. It was it was made by Stuart Sullivan, who I love. Great, great producer. Features uh, Some songs feature Andrew Duplantis and Joey Shuffield, the Fighting Cox, the original Fighting Cox, that are the regular guys. And then also Chris Searles and Bobby Daniel, who are also Fighting Cox, which is John D. Graham and the Fighting Cox. That's his band. Uh, but it features all those great musicians, great performances by John D., uh, some of the best singing, some of the best songs he's ever written. The band sounds great. They recorded these songs live. They sound fucking great. All right, John D. plays every Wednesday at the Continental Club here in Austin. Uh, he plays at 1030. That's something he's been doing for a bazillion years now, for almost three decades. Jesus Christ, John. Man, he's still doing it, baby. And his son, William, who's my dear friend, William Harris Graham, plays before him at 930. So listen, gang, if you're in Austin on a Wednesday night, get out there and see that. I love talking to John D. Graham. We always have a great time talking. I love this man. He's such a great talent. I'm so glad that when he died, he came back to life because I think that the world needs John D. Graham. And so do I. Ladies and gentlemen, this is my conversation with the great John D. Graham. Let's get down. Given the last couple of years, last few years, I'm great. Yeah, good. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, it, the last four years has sort of uh, presented some challenging situations. Yeah, opportunities for growth, we like to call them. <laughs> That's one way of looking and, at it. Uh, Oh man, God almighty. Uh, but I just got back. I did like the first tour actual like out of town dates that I've done in close to four years. I mean, not counting, you know, Houston or Dallas, but right. I uh, went to Chicago on uh, play Chicago Saturday night and Madison Sunday night. Both shows were sold out. Um, and these were these are places I usually play three, four times a year before the heart attack. Right. And so, um, you know, and then there's the pandemic. And then just when it looked like I was going to be able to tour again, I had a stroke. And so it took me out of the game for another year. And so um, this is my first actual road dates that I've done in four years, probably. And... Um, you know, I don't, I don't so much have fans as much as I have friends. And these, these are places that I've played, like I said, three times a year for the last 25 years. And so, um, it really was just like, I mean, it's what you think Thanksgiving ought to be. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's pretty sweet. So wait, you had a stroke after, because I remember going to see you once things started to open up in 2021, I went to your first show back. So it was after that? After that. When was that? How did I miss that? 
Well, we didn't exactly take out ads, on, okay. you know. <laughs> didn't uh, hire a publicist for that one? Yeah, oddly, <laughs> no. Uh, no, it was August a year ago. Oh. It, it was, it was uh, yeah, August a year ago. And, uh, you know, I mean, all things considered, or even hell, most things considered, uh, I got off easy, you know, um, it, it was a, it yeah. was a small stroke. It was contained. Um, it did not fuck up my cognitive abilities. It, uh, did not fuck up my face any more than it already was fucked <laughs> up. <laughs> Come on, what are you going to do? Uh, but, uh, there are, there are certain, like lingering things that, that are still tough to deal with. And mainly it, was, it affected my right side. So luckily my fretting hand is good. Um, and you know, I've got feeling in these fingers, but not much. And so, um, I have to use violin, bow rosin to hold, to hold, on hold your the pick. pick in place. Okay. Cause otherwise literally I'll be playing and I go, God damn, I'm, really getting muddy down what's good yeah you dropped your pick like 10 minutes ago so <laughs> so i use uh use rosin but i mean all things considered um because you know in in dealing with some of the rehabilitation stuff um a lot of people man it takes them down and out yeah. hard yeah and uh and so you know it's just it's just another thing it's just another thing i mean once you've died Everything else becomes kind of secondary. Yeah, you know. What that and, was in uh, that was in twenty nineteen. Yeah, twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. What? what, what could, could I know you've heart had attack. to tell this story. You had a heart attack, but what? What happens when you die, John? <laughs> well, I'll tell you my experience with it. Okay, it's so funny, Johnny, because. You know, I'm doing all these interviews for the new record, and everybody, the first thing they ask is, did you see anything? Yeah, well, of course, man. Like, like I got a preview. <laughs> um, no, I didn't see anything, and, uh, and it didn't hurt. And it was just like a really deep, restful nap. Yeah. You know? Um, I was, no one was more surprised than I was when I woke up in the, the ER and they're like, you know, you died. And it was like, but, but, but I came back, right? Yeah. So, wow. Uh, Shit, man. Yeah. And it was just, it was a, a freak electrical storm in my heart that, um, what had happened was I was playing Fitzgerald's in Chicago where I just got back. From. Right. Playing Fitzgerald's, they have this, this festival every year called the American Music Fest, and uh, it it was really hot. We were playing in, inside, and, and it was just packed, and so it was really hot. And I hadn't been drinking enough water. In fact, I honestly, I think I'd only had coffee that day, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like sweating and sweating and working. And, you know, we played two hours straight, and then. I came out and I'm like, oh man, I am, uh, 
I'm feeling a little weak, you know. Well, of course you are. You're all sweated out. Yeah. Just go sit in the van with the AC on. And I got in the van, turned the AC on. And went, yeah, that's definitely better. And that's the last thing I remember. Wow. And uh, luckily, because it was the 4th of July, there were cops everywhere. Because 4th of July in Chicago, like the neighborhoods compete with each other. Each little neighborhood in the suburbs yeah. has their own fireworks show. And so it's, it's insane. I mean, you climb up on the roof of Fitzgerald's and just as far as you can see, there's like separate neighborhoods with their own fireworks shows. It's fantastic. That's amazing. But, oh man. So anyway, luckily they had EMTs at the fest. And so Pop immediately got on the, got on the radio, got the EMTs out there. And uh, they think, like, by, by my body temperature and the level of oxygen in my blood still, they said, you're probably, like, complete code for five to seven minutes. Wow. And, uh, and I said, so when does the brain death start? And the guy goes, eight minutes. Wow. Jesus, man. <laughs> what a lucky man. Yeah, no, that's the thing. That's the thing. So, okay, stepping back to the whole death thing, if I could have, like, any message for this new record, because, you know, a lot of people were sort of counseling me against doing such a, a, a baldly honest record, right? about what was going on yeah. and the shit that I've been through. Like, and to quote Joe Nick Potosky, man, don't make a death record. <laughs> and I told him, it's not a death record. It's a life and death record. Yeah. But if, if I could have anybody come away from that with anything besides, it's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. Like, it really is literally, for me anyway, it, it was like going to sleep. You know, and uh, I think, first of all, like in the history of the world, in the history of mankind, no one's story has ever ended differently. Right, right, right. Yeah. And yet we try as hard as we can as a culture, particularly in the West, to deny it. Oh, well, yeah, death. It's a thing that happens, but only to those people. Right, right, right. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. In my case, uh, I'm going to skip that, you know. Yeah. And, uh, so it's, it's not just it's not just likely; it's a guarantee. It's going to happen, right? And so, as Bruton used to say, "Better get right with it." Yeah, you know. And um, I think I've got you know, a as you said, I, I'm I'm so lucky. You know, I mean, in so many respects, I was so lucky. Um, and B, you know, it's just really, it was kind of a weight off my shoulders. I, like, I didn't know that I was really that afraid of dying until I actually died. And then when I came back, I'm like, you know, really, if that's dying, there's not much to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just not that big of a deal. Right. 
Well, it's been, it's, it's, it, the way that it's treated in our culture, it seems like it's going to be this huge deal with judgment and flames or angels and music and Jimi Hendrix and John Lennon in the same band and like. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? I mean, and the thing is, if you, you know, do any reading about, you know, what I, People to call them near death experiences, and they're not. They're death death experiences. You right. actually die, right, right? Right. You're fortunate enough to get revived, but you were dead, right? You know, and so it's like, um, there's this vast variety of experiences that people have, you know, uh, when when they die and, and are revived. You know, there's all different kinds of, uh, of interpretations and things they see and things they hear, you know, uh, and mine wasn't that way, you know. Um, and I think that, you know, I mean, I definitely, I, I go out on a super unpopular limb right now, which which is that, you know, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I have a pretty deeply ingrained spiritual side, right? Like you, you can't live to be my age and do the things I've done and see the things I've seen and not know that there's something at work. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that, you know, an old man with a white beard and rubs pulling levers and strings upstairs. Right. But there is something at work in this world. I mean, how many times has something happened to you where you're going, okay, that's even stretching it for a coincidence, right. you know, yeah. this is, this is too much, yeah. you know? And so I'm not even saying that it's necessarily, you know, benevolent or, or knows our name or anything like that. But, you know, I have a good friend who's a astrophysicist. He actually retired Harvard astrophysicist. And the way he puts it, cause you think he would be like, you know, the most empirical, materialistic, you know, science-based guy ever. And he goes, look, if I gave you a box full of molecules, could you make that tree? Yeah. And it's like, no, no. He goes, pretty complex accident, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, um, I don't know what happens, but I'm just telling you what happened to me. And, uh, if nothing else, what I came away from it with, you know, was I'm just, I'm not afraid of it anymore. It's just, it's when it does come, it's going to be like going to bed, man. That's, that's kind of yeah. it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I like sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, another thing you got out of it was, I mean, this record's pretty fucking amazing. <laughs> I mean, is this is this At all stuff you that you wrote? Is this all stuff that you wrote after you died? For the most part, for the most part, um, "Lost in the Flood" I had beforehand, and um, and then of course the Gary Reverend Davis song, right? Um, preexisted, and also um, you know I cover Williams' song "Astronaut." Yeah, yeah. And uh, that pre-existed, but you know stuff like uh, "See You by the Fire" and um, you know "Ghost on a Train" stuff like that. That was all. That was all afterwards. Yeah, yeah. It has that. Those have that feeling. 
But yeah. I will say, but, 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 like, um, one thing is this record's incredible, and I wanna I wanna get into the workings of it because I don't I couldn't find a, a personnel for it, and that drives me nuts in modern era. Like it drives me nuts. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It's on. I the mean, vinyl. I know Hardwick played on it because you call him out, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as it should be. I mean, well, he's a bad motherfucker, man. Yeah, he is. Um, so. Uh, the basic band was the Fighting Cox, which is me, Mike Hardwick, Joey Sheffield, and Andrew Duplantis. Okay. But then, um, because Andrew was traveling, and so was Joey, um, at different points, um, Chris Searles also played drums on it. Awesome. And uh, Bobby Daniel played bass on some of it. And then um, Bucka Allen came in and played uh, accordion on Brought Me Here to You. And uh, Kathy McCarty sang on it. Yes. Kevin Russell sang on it. Alice Spencer sang on it. We had one big sing-along where we had everybody in the room. Uh, produced, of course, uh, by Stuart Sullivan. It's a three-way production because I come up with crazy ideas. Mike Hardwick either nods or shakes his head and then Stuart Sullivan goes, well, let's try it. So, uh, so Stuart produced it and I'm trying to remember, I think it might have been Joey Benjamin was the first engineer. And that's it. Well, um, these you recorded that you played live, like obviously, right? Like yeah. The band played live. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, there's that beautiful thing at the end of where it all went wrong, where you're like, let's do another one while I feel. And it's so funny because as a, as a singer, I know that feeling. Like, well, no, I'm in it. I'm in it. Let's not like do it again. Do it again. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Do it again. I will I'm not there. be I'm able to now. achieve this tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And uh, I thought so hard to not have that be on there. And every I was outvoted by everyone, like from the label on down. They're all like, oh, no, no, that's got to be there. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's a real that's a real thing. There's something like the other thing, too, is like after, you know, going through at least all of your solo work, like in real time with you as you release it, you know, through all of these years, you get to a point where this is, I've always thought of you as uh, a very poetic lyricist. I don't think of you as much of like a storyteller guy as like a guy that paints these beautiful images with these words that you walk away from, uh, you take away from it, whatever it is you connect with. Dude, that's see, I mean, that, I have been, like, some people think I'm a jerk because I won't explain my songs, right? And the deal is, and I might have told you this story before, and it probably told you on this show, but you're just going to have to bear with That's me. That's all right. So when, when uh, Escape from Monster Island came out, my, my first record, yeah, uh, we had a record release party at the Continental, and um, I was standing there with Hardwick signing records, and this guy comes up and he goes, I just want to tell you this quick story. He said, my brother and I 
had been estranged for like five years. And we had like not one word spoken between us for five years. And when I listened to your new record and I heard that song about you and your brother, I called him up. And now he and I are having dinner together once a week. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. You know, that makes me feel useful. And that's all I want is to feel useful. Like, was my work useful to you, you know? Yeah. And he walks away and Hardwick kind of got this quizzical look on his face. And he goes, there isn't a song about you and your brother on that record. Is there anyone? But see, for that dude, it turned it turned a corner for him. Exactly right. So who am I to tell him, you know, I said, thank you. And I said the truth. I Thank you. That makes me feel useful. Let it go. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and honestly, isn't it kind of that way for you when you like hear other songwriters and you you build a story in your head around the song and you're, I personally am much of the time convinced that that's exactly what happened. Like the, my interpretation of that song sure. is how he meant it. Yeah. And I'm totally wrong. Most of the time, totally wrong. So I just, I don't want to puncture any more balloons, you know? No, no. And also like, I feel like you, uh, I mean, obviously it's personal when you know what you've been through, but it's also ambiguous enough in the language that you can apply it to someone other than you, other than John. Yeah. Graham. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I mean, I, I really, I don't shy away from the, the noun poet, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's funny cause like with the new age of, of digital media and, and, uh, meta information and, you know, data embedded in tracks and stuff like that. Um, one of the things they had me do before they put the record out was I had to give them a two or three sentence, two or three line um, description of each song. And I just, I, I kind of bowed up about it a little bit, but then I'm like, well, I'll just say as little as possible, you know, not, not much exposition, just say if you, if I can make it funny, I will, you know, if I can make it clever, I will, but I'm not going to give anything away, you know? And, um, it's really funny because that song, uh, the song lost in the flood. All I said was, okay, imagine that minutes and hours and days and weeks and months are water. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Lost in the flood. Yeah. And you know, the, it's like, that says literally what that song is about to me. And it's like, there's little things in it I love, you know? Yeah. But um, why explain it when you might be reconciling somebody with their brother? You know? Yeah, exactly. Why? Yeah, you're taking away whatever they could take out of the song for themselves and really have a meaningful experience. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and, and, Okay, so um, a, a really good friend of mine who's a, a lay Franciscan monk, he, he says that all art 
is co-created between the artist and the recipient. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, did you make that up? And he's like, no. <laughs> it came from this book. Now I'm going to ask you to read this book. But it's true, yeah. you know? There's, there's, there's what I meant, there's what you heard, Yeah. then there's what there is. Yeah. And so it's like, it's just, it's a team, it's a team effort. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, I was just thinking about the, uh, during the pandemic, you were one of my favorite, uh, shows. <laughs> <laughs> you were. Yeah. Oh, you're talking Was about it, Uncle Baggy Pants? In the afternoon. Tio Pantalones? Yeah. Tio yeah. Pantalones, baby. Sí, claro. Um, you know what? I have a hard time even remembering how I got started doing that. But what was hilarious was that there would be like sometimes 200 people yeah. showing up. <laughs> yeah. But I would talk to friends or acquaintances and, and I'd say, yeah, I've been reading children's books online. And they go, oh, what a sweet thing for you to think of the kids. And I'm like, oh, there's very few kids there. It's, it's mainly grown-ups. Here's the, there's, there's, I mean, how much more beautiful could life be than that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Every day I would sit in my garden out back. Yeah. And I would, I would read children's books to between 50 to 150 grownups. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was funny because it honestly, I mean, there's a couple of things to it. One is that my, my mother was a third grade teacher who was like within, I don't know, three or four hours of getting her PhD in education. And she taught third grade at a little farm school down on the border. And her thing was books. I mean, books. Like, she'd always have three books going, like, one by the bed, one by her chair in the living room, and one in her purse in case she has to wait for something. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, he started me reading. I mean, I read way before I went to school. And she got me started with all these like wonderful children's books, which we saved. And that, that's what Roy and then William wow. kind of grew up on were a lot of the same books that I read as a kid. That's awesome. And, um, huh? That's awesome. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, but then it's like my, my mom until she, until the day she died, every birthday, you give me a children's book. Even like when I was 30, you know, she's still giving me a children's book. And so I don't really, like, frankly, I think it's actually a superior form of literature, really, yeah. in a lot of ways. Because it combines everything. It combines language. It combines visuals. You know, it's very little lying going on in children's yeah. books. You yeah. know, very, very few instances of people trying to sell you an agenda. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's pure. It's, yeah. it's not only is it complex. It's pure. Yeah. You know, it's it's an elegant it's an elegant information delivery system. And so, I myself, it didn't occur to me 
exactly how funny it was that I was reading children's books to grownups <laughs> until much later because, I mean, I still kind of, I mean, every now and then I buy a children's book for myself, just like, oh, that looks good. Uh, you yeah. know? And uh, anyway, it's, I mean, yes, I read The Infinite Jest and all of that. <laughs> yes, of course. But really, where the wild things are. Yeah. Doesn't get show me a better piece. Of, no, show me a better piece of literature than that or art. Yeah. Period. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you were there. Yeah. I didn't realize you were there for those. Yeah. I was there for those. I was I remember seeing ones with you and William playing together. Those yeah. were really fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you actually you have a couple of books out now that you can find on Amazon, the love notes from the bear and also bears the search for the hug. That's right. And there's also uh so third? there's also a collection, uh volume one, which is called Bear Witness, which is just all of like my favorite bears that I've done over the years. Yeah. And um that it's Pretty hefty. I mean, it's a pretty big book, but it's not a lot of words, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but some really, really good images. And uh, yeah, and so, yeah, actually, I've got four books on, on Amazon now. So that's amazing. I'm also an author. An author. author. John D. Graham, musician, author, poet, bear painter. Bear painter. Are you getting back to? Uh, are you are you going to get back to doing uh, shows at Continental Club? Oh, I have already. You're like, back doing them now. Oh yeah, oh, I'm sorry. True I must to have form. That's it. all right. True to form. You know, uh, three weeks after the car accident, I was back at the Continental. Yeah. Um, three weeks after having died, I was back at the Continental. Three weeks after my stroke, back, back at the Continental. Yeah, it's just you know what I've been doing that show. I've been doing that residency for twenty-seven years. Like it doesn't seem real, but no. there you have it. Twenty-seven years I've been doing that, and um, I just like no matter how the rest of my life is going, you know, like things are great. God damn it, at least this there's Wednesday. Yeah. If things are going awful, god damn it. There's Wednesday. Yeah. You know? And um it's um it's really funny because it's it's grown into like this tourist attraction thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um I think just because it's so weird that I've been there for so long. Um somebody told me this is beautiful actually. And I, I keep meaning to look into it and get a name, but um, this couple came up after the show, I don't know, a couple of years ago and said, this is the first time they'd seen me, but they were blown away and really, you know, loved the music. And, and they said they were, they were from San Francisco. And I'm like, oh, I play such and such in San Francisco. And I said, so how did you, how'd you end up here tonight? And they said, well, we're staying at the Four Seasons. And we asked the concierge, what's going on in town on a Wednesday night? And the concierge said, go to the Continental. 
you'll see John D. Graham and James McMurtry. It's the best $7 you'll ever spend in your life. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you're getting recommended by the concierge. At the Four Seasons. I, yeah. I, dude, I, I felt a little I felt a little half there, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's right, because I, for some reason I thought that the West uh, Texas Exiles, but they're playing after you. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. Ten thirty is my slot. Well, technically it's ten thirty four, but um, yeah, they uh, they've kind of been shopping around for somebody to do the the midnight slot, and for a while we had Carrie um, Bickley from Calliope. Yeah, she was doing it. God, they, I love that girl. My God, fearless, fearless, absolutely yeah. fearless. Yeah. Like, will do anything and does not care. Yeah. And things like she has a three-octave range, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah. But uh, then we had, for a while, um, you know, Claude Bernard's band, uh, Push and Shove. Uh-huh. And then um, after that, uh, who was it? Anyway, we, we ended up, with the West Texas Exiles, and it's like I love Colin and yeah, me too. Those guys can those guys can all write and play. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a damn good band. Yeah, it's a great band. Um, I was ba- I was there. At, I was thinking now for twenty seven years. Then I've been seeing you play, and uh, at that in that room, and I have to say that. There was one that was super emotional after George passed. Yeah. Where uh, you could feel, you, you know. Yeah. You you were wearing it at that point. Like that, yeah. you know, our friend was gone and you, you know, you, a piece of you had, was missing. You could feel it that night. So that was an amazingly Man. heavy night. But the, but the, but your first night back after covid times was a easily the loudest show i've seen since uh since <laughs> buick mccain at the hole in the wall yes. in the front room and and just like this like you you were filled with the spirit and the room was filled like it was it was i felt like i was walking on clouds for days after that show honest to god dude I remember that night so well. And I remember telling a friend of mine, I said, don't make fun of me for saying this, but man, I felt like I was lit from within. Yeah. You, dude, know? you like were, I was, <laughs> I was it, watching it literally. Yeah. I was yeah. lit from within man. I, and you just, I mean, after everything we went through, you know, I, I mean, after playing there for all those years and then to not be able to play there at all for over a year. Like I went down in the middle of the night one night, I couldn't sleep and I took my art supplies and I went down and I put a stencil on the back door with yeah. the bear on it. Yeah. And it's above it. I, I wrote someday we will walk through these doors again, yeah. like to convince myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I noticed after we came back, that night, I was went out through the door, and somebody had crossed out someday and had written in today. Yeah, and it's like, 
I mean, and here's the thing. I'm not like super good at, at camouflaging my emotions. No. <laughs> And, and uh, that's, it's just how I'm built. And so, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, George, you know, Andrew said something really beautiful about George. Um, just as we're talking about <laughs> Scrappy Joe's name for George was the busy man. Yeah. <laughs> He's always got something going on somewhere. Always. Yeah. And uh, Andrew said, um, there's this one little riff that he plays in, in my song Airplane that George wrote in George's part when he recorded it. And Andrew goes, and I love it. And it's exactly, it's, it's part of the hook, you know, and George wrote it. Yeah. And he goes, think of how many bass players in this town still have to play George's parts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he said, it's George, George's DNA is in the musical DNA of this community. That's funny. Because even after that bass player who had to learn George's part quits or dies or whatever, whoever comes after him is going to have to play George's part. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's kind of, that's one of the highest honors I think you could give a musician. You know, I mean, he's, 100%. he is, he is embedded. He is deeply embedded in the DNA of this community, you know? Oh yeah. 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 That, uh, that was a, that was a tough loss, but I will say that as, as sad as that show was, um, after he passed, there was something great about being there with you in that moment. You know what I mean? Like there was something like no. it was the right place to be for me at that time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. See, here's the thing too. It, it's like for the most part that, well, I don't know that I've gotten a bad review of it yet, but the new record, you know, I admit that, you know, I was, it was, I was on thin ice with some of that stuff because I'm just, I'm singing about, important things, I think, you know, and, um, but, you know, occasionally people will go, well, that song is real downer. And it's like, you know what? I will guarantee you, I, I promise you that there is a golden thread of hope yeah. that runs through every one of my songs, even Laredo, no matter how dark a song is. Yeah. There's a thread running through it that if you can find it and hold on to it, will pull you out the other side, guaranteed. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the characteristics of a John D. Graham song. <laughs> I mean, yes. it is to me. Yeah, it, yes. You know why? Um, it's not deliberate. It's just how I see things. You know, um, <laughs> I did. I did a. You know, Otis Gibbs, you know, his, his podcast, he's, he's hilarious. And he's had a Nashville really, really good singer songwriter, but also just a great guy. And, uh, anyway, it's like, he goes, let's talk about the cover art. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And he says, do you have that? You have the John D. Colbert. And I'm like, yeah, and he goes, 
and in one hand, he's holding a bunch of balloons, brightly colored balloons. Yeah. And on the other hand, he's holding a hatchet. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, I'm just wondering, what's up with that? And I go, well, <laughs> it's just an accurate portrayal of life. Yeah. Like, a big part of it, balloons and pony rides. Guaranteed. Yeah. Another part of it, a hatchet hacking away at you every second that you're yeah. awake. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I just told him, I'm just trying to tell the truth. Yeah. And uh, it was, speaking of the bear, I just had one thing I wanted to say about that is, uh, you know, I do a lot of house concerts just because I love them. I mean, you just roll in and plop a chair down in front of people start playing songs and talking to them, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I love it. And, uh, anyway, <laughs> some show, I think it might've been Hannah Arbor, but I don't remember where exactly, but I said, Hey, let's do a Q and a, anybody got any questions for me? And, you know, there was some good legitimate questions. And, and then what some guy goes, me, me, I'm like, yeah. And he goes, why the bear? Why bears? And behind him, another dude like punches his shoulder and goes, "Come on, man! Look at the guy." <laughs> so I've, I, I've kind of, I've, I've completely come out with it now. I'm like, I've come out. I'm like, yes, yes. I they're all self portraits. Every one of them self portraits. That's me with the balloons in one hand and the hatchet in the other. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes. I've. I always thought it was you. Yeah, right. You, no. you never really questioned it. No, you didn't have to think about it. No, no. Um, I think uh, it's so amazing that you hit like this. Uh, you hit a thing with like. There's like every once in a while we come across a thing that that is that's fun yes. to do that expresses something and people connect with it enough to buy shit of it. It's a really sort of like, it, and it's such an odd thing. Who would have thought like, you know, Oh, you know, one day John D. Graham will have four books available with this bear guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Come on. <laughs> Someone at a skunk but show, wait. like this right, guy's going right. to have these great oh, bear drawings that are going to inspire yeah, people on the internet. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> When I was 19, I'm not going to, no, that's dumb. Yeah. That's not nearly rock and roll enough. But it is, man. It, it is. It's so rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, to a degree, isn't that how your podcast got started? Because it was something that you love to do yeah. something that was entertaining and something that people wanted to hear. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. You find a thing, as yeah. you said, you, sometimes we're lucky and we find a thing. Yeah. You know, a weird thing, like, a weird you know, thing. just kind of an off, off of what we're normally doing. I think you kind of also have to be like, well, I, I guess young people are like that now. Like, if you, it feels like there's so it's so difficult to make a living as a musician that if you're a musician, you got to have at least like six other things that you are that you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's 
it's it's it's rare. I mean, so my my uh, my oldest son Roy, he uh, he he got into NYU, and I'm like, so what are you going to study? And and he was like, well, it's the Gallatin School, which is kind of you design your own major. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I, I was in plan two. I understand that. But what are you going to study? And he goes, um, I'm looking at uh, folklore and game theory. And I'm like, no, no. no. <laughs> Something you can make a living at. Come on, please, please. And, um, anyway, you know where he works now? Where? He's he's a script writer for Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering. Oh wow! His his world his 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 job title his actual official job title. If you look at their directory, is world creator. <laughs> so and what you so to school like, for? <laughs> yes, I was going to say, and he makes like so much more money than I ever made in my yeah. entire life. <laughs> And it's as though he knew. I mean, he didn't, but it's as though he knew. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's one of those cases of like following your heart, even when it seems dodgy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, it doesn't always happen that way. And uh, and he was surprised that he got the job. And there's a wonderful picture that, that he sent me and his, his uh, friend took of him when he got the email that they wanted to hire him. Oh. And it's basically him doing this. Let's see if I can catch this. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you for those of you listening, both both arms wrapped around his head with eyes the size of coffee cups. His own head. His own head. Both arms wrapped around his own head. So wait, you were in plan two as well? It wasn't Yeah, isn't I that what William was I only, in? Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I didn't make it past uh, a year and a half, and uh, you know I started playing in the skunks earlier that year, the year that I quit. Uh, I started playing with the skunks, and in short order, we'd like been to New York City. Uh, I was getting like, I mean, bands were paid really well back then. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I had like pockets full of money, and then we opened for the Clash at at the Armadillo, and we ended up back at the Continental Club before it was the Continental Club. Continental Club, right? It was when Wayne Nagel and uh, Roger One Night were running it, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so it was it was a pretty wild place. So we went back there, got locked in with the clash, jammed all night. I come out the next day, the sun's bright. And I'm like, ah, I got to go to school. <laughs> I get my books. I go to the classroom. And it's just like in the movies, like the sound just goes absolute silence. I'm looking around and I went, oh, I don't belong here. <laughs> yeah. I went straight to the bursar and withdrew. And they're like, would you like to speak to a counselor first? I'm like, no, no. I'm absolutely certain of what I'm doing right now. And, you know, while it's had certain drawbacks, I wouldn't do it any differently today. No. You know? I've had a life 
beyond my wildest dreams. You know, I mean, um, you know, Alejandro and I drank from a spring in the Canadian Rockies, you know? Yeah. Um, I watched Iggy pop dance while we played now on a be your dog. You know, I, I got to play with John Doe. I got, yeah. you know, and now I've got 12 or 13, depending on which ones you count solo records. And I've played on 80 other people's records. Yeah. So it's like, things really worked out okay. Yeah. In spite of the, in spite of the dying, yeah. in spite of the pandemic. Well, even the dying the worked stroke, out okay, really. Even the dying worked out okay. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, if anything, it was highly informational, you know? Yeah. There's nothing to be afraid of here. Just keep going. Yeah. It, this is funny. This sort of goes back to the 27 years at the Continental Club. I was convinced that I had the longest running residency at the Continental Club. Right. And somebody said, I actually know the blues specialist. The blues specialist had been playing happy hour here for 35 years. And so I was in the club when, I forget what his name, I think his name might be Albert, but the bass player, the one who plays, who has the Sherlock Holmes pipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So he's sitting at the bar drinking a Crown Royal and smoking his pipe. <laughs> and I went up to him and I said, Hi, I'm, I'm John D. Graham. You know, we play here every Wednesday night. And we have for 20, at the time, this is 25 years, I think. And uh, I thought we had the longest running residency, but now I, I heard that you guys do. And he goes, Mm hmm. <laughs> Keep at it. <laughs> keep at it so that's what I'm going to do is I'm just going to keep at it it's all turning up roses yeah <laughs> dude I'm going to come out and see you tomorrow I haven't seen you in a while it's been at least a year I think maybe not dude come on out yeah yeah I will um, are you going to have uh, everyone's there it's like the uh, the uh, the, oh, the Jerry Sheffield top. Andrew Duplantis, Mike Hardwick. That's right. Nice. That's right. The Fighting Cocks in all their glory. The Fighting Cocks in all their glory. You know, um, a while back, like a few weeks ago, whenever I reached out to you when I was listening to the record, I was just, I was really moved. And I was just like, this is just really, it's one of those things that like, you, you want to make sure that it's true. But now I, I'm pretty convinced now that I've watched it happen with people is that you do you can get like still get better and better and better and better you don't like you don't have to fade out you know what i mean man, man. um we are like you know shit this is probably like this is in my estimation this might be your best work yet you know what i mean like and that's the way it should be you shouldn't get worse at it you know what i mean right it's time to stop if you get worse at right, it right right but you know, um, it's funny because uh, the George Fontaine, the guy who, who runs Strolling Bones, uh-huh. he said, this, this record may be better than Escape from Monster Island, my first record. Because a lot of people were like, well, that, right. he's not going to top that one. But he's like, this new one, the one you just sold us, it may be better. Yeah. So, you know what? Yes, life is hard. Yes, things take a lot of work, and sometimes it hurts. Um, 
But you know, in the big picture, it's it's all possible. It's all possible. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is all possible, literally. Yeah. Well, dude, I'm really glad to see you. I'm glad that we did this. Sorry it wasn't in person, but I'll give you a hug tomorrow. That's right. Come up and give me a hug. I've been vaccinated. No problem. Come (laughs) on. It's so funny. When people say vaccinated, I've been vaccinated. Now, I still think about it in terms of like cooties or something. (laughs) (laughs) I forget that there was a pandemic. I really like, as soon as I got vaccinated for for the pandemic or for the for covid like i literally was like it's over for me i was like licking yeah, doorknobs people's faces like everything yeah if i find a candy bar on the ground i'll pick it fuck up and yeah eat it. dude people throwing out cigarettes i'm picking them up and smoking them i'm like fuck yeah i'm alive <laughs> <laughs> i'm alive and i'm gonna stay that way yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was there was this brief moment it was this brief moment yesterday on the plane back to Chicago. Everybody was boarded, and and the stewardesses are the what do they call them now? What is it? Not stewardess. Uh, flight uh, attendant. Flight attendant. Yeah. So the, the flight attendant goes, is like going through her little shtick, and then somebody in the back coughs really hard and really loud, and everybody on the plane, every head turned around to see who it was. <laughs> And I'm like, this is just like that movie Contagion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which was, uh, yeah. Yeah, that time was scary, but I'm glad that we're we're in a vaccinated time where now it's just like dude, we're, we're past all that. Yeah. We're past all that. Yeah. We're, we're past all that. And and uh Yeah, you know what? Dude, come on out. I'll yeah. I'll buy you a beverage. All right. All right. That's that'll be my pleasure, dude. I love you. And congratulations. Only Dead for a Little While is available wherever it is you stream and download music on Strolling Bones Records. Also available on vinyl. Uh at johndgram.weebly.com. Is that the main Yeah. Okay. And then that has links to to Amazon where you can get the books and stuff. Yeah. I've got it's a one stop shop kind of thing. It's a one stop shop. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but Fiesta Red Vinyl. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. It is Fiesta Red Vinyl. I didn't write that down, but I did read it. It is exactly yeah. the color of of, uh, of Williams Jaguar. Uh, excellent, man. Excellent. Tell him I, I haven't seen him in a while. Maybe he'll be there tomorrow. Oh, he'll be there, man. Oh, yeah. Come at 930. Oh, yeah. No shit. Yes, I will come early and stay late. Right on. Oh, right on. You, man. See you tomorrow. I love you too, Johnny. All right, buddy. Bye. Bye, brother. Guys, that was John D. Graham. His record, Only Dead for a Little While, available now wherever it is you stream and download music. Also available on vinyl. Don't forget he plays every Wednesday at the Continental Club here in Austin at 1030. I want to thank John for taking the time to shoot the shit with me. I guess we need to do another one pretty soon in person. I miss that guy. I love him. Uh, Get out there and see him. I love that guy. I'm so glad he's out there playing still and he made it back from from that scare, from death. He made it back from death's grip. Like he popped out. <laughs> I mean, imagine that shit. Jesus Christ. John D. Graham, one of my favorite people. Only Dead for a Little While is the record. Okay, gang? Don't forget when you're out there checking out John D. Graham stuff online, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you find podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Tune In. New shows every Tuesday and every Friday. From the vaults, dropping like rain every Saturday night right now in December. So 
tomorrow night, tomorrow night, you will hear Gary P. Nunn. Yeah, my combo with the great legendary Gary P. Nunn. Get out there and check out this record, Only Dead for a Little While, by the great John D. Graham, and have a great weekend, whatever you're doing. And if you are in Houston, come on out this Sunday, December 17th. Shoeshine Charlie's Big Top Lounge. Let's get down. feeling this way now.